Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. It's 20 of December 2021 and uh, together with Malik Banat and myself, Wojciech Przybylski, we are recording this podcast uh, with weekly outlook on democratic security in Central Eastern Europe. So, Malik, what are we going to talk about today? One very crucial development takes us to Czechia, where last week, um, on the eve of the 10th uh, year anniversary of the death of the late Václav Havel, the uh, last president of Czechoslovakia and the first president of the Czech Republic, um, that truly resembles the democracy-loving spirit of Czechs, as well as the value-driven policy during his time, and uh, just just the day before celebrating that anniversary, after a tough last round of negotiations between the new Czech Prime Minister Petr Fiala and President Miller Zeman, the new Czech cabinet was finally introduced to office. And uh, among the posts, the one disputed post was, of course, foreign minister, who the presented candidate was Jan Lepavsky. And uh, at least on paper, he is very bullish on human rights and specifically the values-driven policy we're talking about, which caused um, a few disagreements with uh, Mr. Zeman, to say the least, uh, specifically on policies regarding China and Russia. Um, And Lipovsky noted during his inauguration speech that he will prioritize human rights in the Czech foreign policy, introducing Um, such as introducing the Magnitsky law, as well as economic diplomacy and better relations with NATO and the EU, uh, including related, of course, to the upcoming Czech presidency in the second half of 2022. So, Wojtek, what is your take on all this and how do you see uh, this new era of supposed values-driven policy of Czech? Is it really a revival that Havel would have wanted to see? Well, it, it is really remarkable that the appointment of the new government with the prime minister often heavily quoting uh, Václav Havel legacy values and norms uh, underpinning the democratic direction towards the West uh, or return to the West, as Czechs would put it, um, of the Czech Republic has, uh, has taken place on Friday. On Saturday, there is 10th year's anniversary of Václav Havel's death. That was... Um, that was remembered. That was uh, that was channeled through all possible uh, formal and informal channels of, of communication from the government. And indeed, uh, uh, Czech Republic is now yet another country that uh, uh, makes good use of the recent memory of the member of the public memory, political memory uh, of of democratic uh, turn to. Um, to uphold the values that drive the security, not only of Czech Republic, but of the region. It makes, um, it makes a lot of sense. It also signals a lot of trouble in terms of communication. I think Mr. Lipovsky is not, um, uh, should not be credited just on paper, but he is an outspoken uh, critic of uh, Chinese uh, influence underpin- undermining the uh, democratic security, democratic world order, an uh, ardent supporter of uh, uh, Taiwan, which is also nothing new in the Czech uh, foreign policy, with the exception of Mr. Zeman, uh, as Czechs have been uh, for a considerable amount of time already playing this card similar to Lithuania, 
uh, a card of a smaller country, but with a very um, uh, principled foreign policy, betting on their uh, future with with the Western democratic system of norms and values as an as a uh, uh, close ally, uh, kind of committed, very committed ally of, of NATO and the EU member that respects EU law above all in, in terms of um, the political setup on the continent, in the bloc. And um, we also featured an interview with um, Foreign Minister of Lithuania, Gabrielus Landsbergis, uh, in which uh, on Friday, um, 17th of December, in which uh, Mr. Landsbergis speaks on Belarus, China, and the transatlantic link in very similar manner, um, in a ver- in a in a form uh, that uh, also shows uh, Lithuania's determination to move at certain costs um, away from different potentially lucrative opportunities presented by China, but. Um, that would and could undermine the system in which Lithuania thrives as a smaller nation, as a smaller country among the others in the EU. And I think this is very, uh, very significant and very timely, also very important, as these two countries, along with Slovakia, where at least the president is very vocal on this direction, seem to be all around Poland and neighboring with Hungary, they behave differently. I should mention also that the interview I mentioned, um, conducted by Lina Skoyala uh, from the Lithuanian Foreign Policy uh, Review, uh, has been editor-in-chief and the, the director of the Eastern Europe Study Center. This has been conducted already a couple of months ago. So this is nothing uh, uh, new. I mean, the interview has been first published this Friday, but it was waiting uh, to be published also because uh, the, the political future of Mr. Landsbergis was not so uh, uh, certain as he was recently putting himself, um, his career on the line because of uh, certain developments regarding sanctions. Uh, so uh, th- that I think is very significant for Central Europe. And it's uh, something we're gonna see more and more that the nations which are smaller than Poland or um, have smaller uh, neo-imperial or revisionist ambitions that, uh, than Hungary or Viktor Orban have actually come to census and uh, strategize uh, on, their, on their future direction, being very vocal and uh, accepting certain costs. So uh, what do you see? how do you see that uh, development, Malik? I do agree with you that uh, we're probably going to see a bit more cooperation. Um, no, definitely a boost of efforts in that regards. I find it remarkable that a small group of three Central Eastern European countries, that as you mentioned, be in um, Czechia, Slovakia and Lithuania, have had such concerted efforts to supporting Taiwan and uh, various political actors domestically. But Lithuania in particular has... A national approach to it. Whereas last month we've seen the opening of the first Taiwan representative office in Lithuania, first so on European soil, which has of course um, angered uh, Beijing, who uh, follows the One China policy, refuses the recognition of Taiwan, and uh, since, as Lithu- as Vilnius describes it, um, they have um, they have suffered from a, a mixture of 
um, diplomatic coercion and intimidation. Um, the the latest being, um, we were reporting that in our last outlook, actually, the one before this, uh, that uh, Lithuanian goods were barred uh, from entry um, on the customs market. So they were not able to pass through the Chinese market. And this problem has uh, still not been resolved. Uh, Lithuania has asked EU for help. Uh, what EU has done in return is they tried to contact uh, customs officials in Beijing with no success and um, they have taken they have uh, taken and pleaded the matter now to the WTO um, and we'll see how long that takes but more recently which in this in this week's development is um, there have been reports that China is ramping up pressure on um, not just Lithuanian goods but actually European companies um, so that directly now implicates the EU uh, including German auto firms like VW and Continental to ditch Lithuanian suppliers. Um, uh, as well as that, um, a group of 19 Lithuanian diplomats uh, last week in Beijing were hastily repatriated. Uh, that was Wednesday. And uh, according to them, um, once again, we've seen that they've suffered from intimidation from the Chinese officials. Um, so I think the big question here, Wojtek, is how how do you see um, European response or how do you expect it to be shaped over these coming days? Well, Europe has a lot to show and to deliver in terms of the European external action strategy. And we are now in the process of discussing the strategic compass um, also on our website, there is a new analysis by Marcin Zaborowski on how the strategic compass, which uh, should guide uh, mostly the discussion about it, should guide the foreign policy of, of, uh, of the Union, uh, could be helpful to the Central European states. Uh, EU is suffering so far from lack of unified and um, consolidated threat perception. That is that is part of the paradox. I mean, that it's a united Europe without a united public sphere. It, uh, it still thrives with the multitude of languages and different memories that shape the, the paradigms of the public discussion across, uh, across the whole block. It's harder to put together political action, but this is coming more and more handy uh, in, the, in the face of threats or uh, assertive, aggressive, often behavior from the two powers that EU, along with the US, have already tagged as the biggest challenges for the um, for the 21st century, at least Russia and China. And the EU is uh, making some effort, uh, and then there's disagreements to what extent this is. Uh, enough, uh, not. In, I mean, I think generally everybody is uh, agree this is not enough. But then uh, different uh, opinions come at uh, what is the actual desired level of uh, unified response. This is a very interesting, very important moment for uh, the EU. Also, how it will be standing behind those principled uh, positions of of certain uh, EU allies, and it will help if uh, moving forward. It will help to uh, bring about the much expected strategic autonomy of Europe, not so much in terms of armament immediately, but much more in terms of uh, uh, putting at stake 
sometimes some potential losses uh, if necessary. But let's remember the EU is so important for China just as much or maybe even less, uh, more so than China is important to you in terms of the export market, in terms of you know, potential of growth. China doesn't grow by itself. It, it grows because it has trading partners and it needs to abide to the rules. Similarly to Russia. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that one. I think that the, the lack of um, common position, EU common position on China has uh, hindered progress. Uh, we have seen, for example, the annual China-EU summit has been postponed for later this year, uh, precisely due to the low prospects of actually making progress. And um, we have seen uh, EU has not followed in the footsteps of its tra of its transatlantic ally, the U.S., also as well as I think Britain, who are um, going to have a who are going to pursue a diplomatic boycott of the uh, 2022 Olympics in China. We have not seen the same response uh, from um, in Brussels. However, we do know that Lithuania will be boycotting it, whereas. Um, from Central Europe, Hungary is likely to block any motion that would suspend uh, the boycott. Yes, that that is not something unexpected that has happened before, as we talked about it many times um, in, on the podcast and written on Visegrad Insight that this multi-vector foreign policy of Hungary is uh, coming at a cost, at a great cost uh, to the EU. And now speaking of the cost to the West uh, from Central Europe, we also have a potentially dangerous situation in Poland. Uh, the parliament, the lower chamber of parliament, has uh, all of a sudden put out of a legislative freezer the bill that was uh, previously rejected by Senate, the so-called uh, Lex TVN law, which is the media law, changing uh, regulations so that the um, biggest private uh, enterprise in Poland, currently owned by the Discovery Channel, would need to give uh, concessions, ownership rights, uh, in, in parts uh, to the bidders from Poland. Most likely, the government intends to see it as a, uh, as, as, as a, a public or government-controlled companies. And in the result, uh, uh, to have the, the most uh, opinion-leading TV station in Poland uh, be subject to uh, unprecedented turbulence, which may also imperil the, the news reporting and the standing and the credibility of the station in the public. That happens um, a year and a half um, ahead of planned elections in Poland in 2023. And amongst a very difficult position the government has now with various uh, Scandals haunting uh, the newcomers to the government, apparently uh, corrupt or simply compromised in terms of their moral integrity. People who were earlier rejected by PIS as potential allies, they've been criticized or flagged um, as MPs. The PIS would not see fit even to be MPs. And now, like the Minister of Sport, uh, newly appointed, they are simply uh, in the government for the matter of uh, keeping the majority in the parliament by Mr. Kaczynski and his team. At the same time, no changes in the judicial system are made. There is obvious situation now. The EU funds are nowhere to be seen in Poland until the 
late 2022, the earliest, largely because Poland does not comply with uh, the rulings of the European Court of Justice and therefore undermines the the elements of uh, the norms and values prescribed in the budget, in the new EU budget rules. This situation will have tremendous effect on the Polish economy uh, and on the Polish public opinion. The tremendous effect uh, is uh, is having the, the inflation, which is skyrocketing the highest of, of 20 years so far. And even though you may uh, think uh, you know inflation is not such a scary thing when the you know salaries are on the rise and so on it's all a matter of perception it's also the matter of perception of public opinion the fears of uh, bread butter uh, prices going up are going to be uh, disastrous for the for the public opinion so now the law is uh, awaiting and for the next 20 days we will be looking at the presidential palace where President Duda, who earlier uh, announced he would be potentially uh, vetoing uh, such a bill, is now saying he will consider it and, and, and study it before making a decision, clearly signaling that he wants to have uh, an, some sort of perhaps informal channel of communication also with the American allies. Uh, as before, he was positioning himself as a most transatlantic element of the uh, complex uh, multi-structural level of, of governance in Poland. And now he signals that he wants uh, apparently also to talk and to hear out uh, the American side. There is new ambassador Mark Brzeziński being confirmed also over the weekend by the Senate, who's coming. Of Polish descent, son of Zbigniew Brzeziński, the big strategist, um, very much uh, focused on Central Eastern Europe, Russia as well former advisor to Jimmy Carter and uh, then uh, council uh, on, on the on the many councils of the you know, of the other presidents and this situation is happening as we speak in the most troubling time for central eastern europe with russia troops amassing on the border of ukraine and that is being considered also as a, a treacherous act of of the polish government on on the uh, allies in the uh, very vicinity like Ukraine, because it's taking away attention, making actually our steps look very similar to Putin's strategy of how he was taking ITN station in uh, TV station in, in Russia earlier days, and is um, pulling, instead of uh, you know, uh, bringing in solidarity of allies, it is pulling uh, our strengths apart um, to, to different conflicts. So very serious situation, not only for internal challenge to democracy, but very much undermining the uh, democratic security in the region. We'll see how it happens, how it develops. Fortunately, um, uplifted here, Polish civil society went in big numbers to the street on Sunday, 20, on the 19th of December, and you've seen uh, protests in over 100, something like 120 cities, with two million people also signing already a petition online to the president, uh, asking him to veto the law and not to send it to the constitutional tribunal, which is politically controlled by the government. And then it would be back in the hands of Kaczynski if decided. So that's the situation as well in Central Europe that we should be watching also, unfortunately, over Christmas. Yeah, I think that's a very sobering note uh, in anticipation of Christmas holidays. And I think quite 
quite a lot to digest there. Uh, so we'll be definitely watching this space. Uh, watch out for upcoming articles from Visegrad inside. Uh, anything specific you want to mention, Wojtek? Oh, yes, there are uh, there are a couple. Actually, uh, watch for five articles that I wanted to mention on Friday afternoon. So already after our weekly, uh, weekly newsletter has been released, there was uh, uh, an op-ed published by Richard Youngs and Elena Pochulinze um, on, on the takeaways from the Eastern Partnership Summit that was an important summit taking, that took place last week. And uh, they advocate for much stronger political commitment of individual nations uh, in the EU, um, signaling that otherwise Russia is going to um, take over uh, much of the uh, agenda in the eastern neighborhood of the EU, very much like uh, we have described in Eastern Partnership uh, scenarios, Eastern Europe uh, 2030. So read this piece. Um, this is called Moving on from the Eastern Partnership by Richard Youngs and Elena Panhulidze. Also, there is um, uh, Estonian party dynamics to be explained by Marily Ariakas this week. Uh, Michał Zabłocki, um, also like Marily, marching crew fellow at Visegrad Inside, is writing and it's going to be published uh, on air pollution effects on democracy. Uh, Jiji Schneider, senior fellow and uh, former deputy minister of foreign affairs in the Czech government, writes about religion's role in the public space and needs to be this role needs to be restored to resist, to help to resist disinfo ops uh, in uh, in Europe. Very thought-provoking, very good, not that long, short short piece, but but to the point. And uh, finally, also Christmas read would be the future of Belarus in Europe, a discussion um, that it has been uh, recorded and now is going to be transcribed and the brief is going to be uh, published um, with a discussion uh, with we have had with Christian Uch, um, the Presse, Austrian uh, foreign editor desk, uh, Franak Vechorka, uh, the office of Svetlana Tsihanovska, and Catherine Younger, uh, she's a director of uh, Ukraine in Europe program at the Institute of Human Sciences in Vienna, cooperating with Timothy Snyder. Uh, and that discussion took place at the end of November. Now it's going to be your Christmas read, hopefully. Enjoy. Lots of Christmas presents from us here at Visegrad Insights. We wish everyone, as always, a good week ahead. A good week ahead and uh, Merry Christmas indeed. Thanks very much to Visegrad Insight and Respublica for, for inviting me to, to moderate this panel, which is a big honor for me. I work for an Italian news magazine, which is called Internazionale, and who tries to cover Central European and uh, Eastern European matters as, as, as good as it can. And um, so, as, as, you, as you all know, the, the, the panel today is devoted to the, um, the summit for democracy that took place online last week on the 9th and the 10th of uh, December on the initiative of the American government and the president, uh, Joe Biden. Um, it was uh, something that was um, uh, thought for and uh, uh, announced uh, at the time of um, President Trump and President Trump was in power. And back then it seemed like a very bold political statement. Uh, we have to understand, I would like to understand with uh, the, the 
the people taking part in this discussion, if it still has uh, such a relevant event and if it's, it's an event that can be meaningful and change things for democracy uh, in Central and Eastern Europe and not only in Central and Eastern Europe. We all know that in the last 15 to 20 years, liberal democracies have been backsliding everywhere and uh, not only in Europe uh, and uh, the, the, the problems and the frailties have shown up in uh, in the US as well and uh, even in big parts of the so-called Western liberal world. So um, what a better way to, to, to tackle the, 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 the rise of uh, autocracies and the dictatorships than to organize a big, huge global event to uh, discuss the, 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 what are the problems for democracy and liberal democracy today and to reaffirm uh, the, 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 the engagement of the Western liberal world and the US in, uh, in premis to deliver, to stand for democracy and all abroad. Um, that's what everyone thought and that's mostly true, but I think there, are, there can be like issues that I want to discuss and doubts too uh, about the format that was chosen and uh, what really is the meaning of, uh, of such a summit, which I have to say, frankly, in the Western, in parts of Western Europe has not been followed so closely at, at, as, as it maybe was uh, in, uh, in Central and Eastern Europe. So um, I, I would like to discuss these things with the um, three guests that we have today, which is uh, Ioana Rojo which is uh, head of the Brussels office of the Republican Institute and formerly with the Carnegie Endowment for Peace. Um, member, of, member of European Parliament, uh, Miriam Lexman, um, who has a long-standing experience of uh, European politics and sits with the European People's Party and, uh, the, and the, the real host of the whole event, which is Wojciech Szybilski, who is editor-in-chief of Zygrad Insight and the head of the uh, Respublica Foundation. I would like to start with Miriam. I would like to start her asking her if she really thinks that um, such a summit, uh, such an event can really um, accomplish something uh, in the long run and change things politically, uh, or if it's just a show of goodwill at best or a way to... to um, I would say to, for political hypocrisy at, at worst. Uh, what, what do you think is the, the, the prospect and the, the reality of this event? Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for the invitation to this, this very timely event. And I, I believe that it's important to, to follow this summit, but also to bring the action into, into our work, because uh, that's even more important than discussing the sta status quo of democracies and the way how the West, the, the democratic part of the world, can maybe change the trajectory for the entire development, global development. I would say that I, I really welcome this summit. It's important that democracies get together and they are discussing the challenges, practically mainly from raising of totalitarian regimes all around us. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I would say that this threat to the global order and threat to our own democracies, maybe I would say that uh, unite us into two sources, because obviously every democracy is facing challenges, uh, domestic challenges, and they are very different. But what I think unites us is, first of all, 
the external challenges which i said come from the rise of um, rise of totalitarian regimes and primarily uh, russia and china and i would focus on on china in my in my short remarks or maybe maybe both practically what unites us that democracies for too long time we believe that economic engagement with um, countries which were not embracing democracy would change the, the third countries uh, through this engagement. For some time, we already know that this is not working and these regimes are turning our economic dependency against us and practically weakening not only the global war, uh, order, but also weakening our own democracies. And this has happened when, when we talk about Russia, when we face the hybrid threat coming from Russia already for some, some time. Uh, on the other hand, we were unable to stop, for example, Nord Stream 2, which makes us even weaker vis-a-vis -vis Russia. And now, I mean, we're in the escalation of the, of the cur current uh, uh, tensions between Ukraine and Russia and the West and, and Russia, I would say, uh, I think that now we see that uh, stopping Nord Stream 2 would be a wise idea if there was... Um, if there was unity on this. When it comes to China, I think the, the pandemics has shown us very, very well uh, that uh, our economic dependency from China can be threat to our own democracies and threat to our population in such a way that, for example, uh, basic health uh, means and health products were missing and were used as a hybrid form of pressure on member states by China in order to create uh, create tensions among member states and tensions within the European Union. Why I'm talking about this is that I think we need to make a U-turn in our foreign policy. And Article 21 of the EU treaty says very clearly that the values which brought the member states together are the same values that should be uh, fostered and should be the basis of our international action and our foreign action. And I think we need to really come firmly uh, in um, following this, uh, these words. We should maybe stop thinking that, uh, that values are weakening our position in the global world, but rather than thinking that values can actually strengthen our foreign policy. So first of all, uh, we need to be, yeah. we need to make sure that our economic engagement with, th with third countries are helping to improve the human rights situation in the third country. And we are using the economic relationship in order to make pressure on the third country uh, to improve the human rights situation there. And we have to be more wise how to, how to make sure that uh, our economic dependency is uh, first of all lowered, especially vis-a-vis -vis China, but also how to redirect our economic interests within the uh, democratic part of the world, that there are no threats coming from, from this dependency any longer. And I would say maybe uh, one part of this threat is also uh, IP theft, which is not only an economic threat, but this is, this is also a security uh, threat. And the only way how to... Uh, and I think this shows clearly that practically when we are prioritizing business interests in our foreign engagement, now this priority is turning against us because obviously uh, IP theft actually threatens the, the business as such. Um, so this is something which 
I think needs to be addressed uh, uh, in terms of our engagement in the foreign world. And I would maybe say here one quote from Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio, who said that we are used to the world where the, the strongest powers in this world are uh, democracies, which is practically the United States or Northern uh, America and, uh, and the Euro European Union. But we are walking into a world when if we don't make a U-turn in our foreign policy that might happen that uh, a totalitarian communist country will be the world leading power. And that means that the world will look very differently. And I will maybe say a couple of words on the internal threats. Uh, we do know that this information has been as a hybrid threat used by also third actors, uh, domestic or foreign, Uh, to undermine our democracies. But more and more so we are realizing that practically social platforms, uh, which are boosting this problem, are part of the problem because uh, the way how these algorithms are set, they are prioritizing, polarizing messages, disinformation, uh, messages which are creating tensions in societies and, and practically also undermining the the trust within the society and in a trust in democratic institutions. And I believe that here we need to come together. Of course, uh, uh, we should support freedom of speech. We should support uh, business, but we need to come with such a wise regulation that the uh, risks coming from uh, online business uh, and undermining our the basic pillars of our democracies will be limited, will be diminished, and will, will practically be avoided in order to support business as such. Okay, th thanks very much. So let, let's move on to um, uh, Joanna Rohojinska. I, I would like to, uh, mainly the, the, the first intervention was focused on external threats to our democracies and the importance on, that foreign politics can have to, to engage with uh, uh, non-liberal or openly autocratic countries. I would like to ask you, If you think that the Western world itself has to, um, to, 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 to dig deeper and do a bit of uh, um, self-criticism um, in regards of state of its democracy, because uh, actually there are frailties and cracks in, in the democratic institutions in Europe and in the US as well. And I have the feeling that if we don't, if we don't start from strengthening our democracies and making them regain the, the, the moral high ground that they used to have. It's, it's difficult to, to stand for democracy abroad and to defend the democratic principles outside your country when, I mean, the situation inside the country uh, in many uh, so-called liberal democracies is very problematic. Do you, do you want to elaborate on this? Uh? Thank you very much. And thank you for, for, for having me. I mean, I think that it, it kind of goes back to the initial question that you had is, you know, can, can, can a summit like this Um, you know, change things. Nothing has ever changed in one meeting. That's not, that's not it. Right. But I do think that it was the, the, the point of it was kind of a, um, a, a firm restatement to the principles that link liberal democracies around, or democracies around the, around the world. And I do think that the emphasis that was placed on corruption and rule of law within the uh, many of the sessions of the summit point exactly to what you were talking about, right? That there's, a, there's an understanding that, um, you know, 
corruption is more apparent in other places. However, you do have to kind of like have that internal conversation in terms of closing the loopholes on rule of law, right? And so it's a, it's a practice what you preach a little bit. You know, I think that they're, you know, not to, not to, there's an awful lot of criticism about the uh, choice of invitees, as it were, to the summit, because certainly not all had uh, the cleanest, cleanest records in any way that you look at it, whether it's media freedom or rule of law of corruption. But I think that having this kind of collective conversation and the fact that the overwhelming majority of the participants did come from Europe, frankly, um, uh, out of the what, 127, 39 were from Europe um, with a few very explicit exclusions um, and 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 the fact that this was a conversation that it was having almost internally within itself right and so the the if you want the leading democracies in the sense that you have to lead by example um, and so it wasn't finger pointing only right in terms of external threats but also that we collectively are better able to withstand those threats if we if we work on ourselves as well right so so i do think that there was an awful lot of conversations that were more internally looking right or at least um implicitly implicitly so that there that there's certain measures that have to be reinforced domestically in all of our countries in order to make us more effective at withstanding the external threats so that it doesn't look like pure hypocrisy right which is very easy which is very easy to to highlight and showcase so i do think that there's an awful lot of work to be done and i do think that you know this was intended to start a conversation right and intended to start a global conversation and reinforce reaffirmation and reassertion certainly of the U.S.'s um, presence on the international stage. And I don't think that they that they were particularly the host as the host country. They were not particularly shy about um, talking about some of the internal issues that the U.S. faces. Right. And the fact that they do have to work on themselves as well. Um, so so. There is an acknowledgement of it. Of course, it's easier said than done, but at least it's important. To, it's almost like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, right? You can't start dealing with the problem until you actually say it out loud. And so I do think that this was this kind of, you know, the, the, this kind of experience of actually stating it publicly and loudly. Oh, really, really, really totally agree with that. Uh, Wojciech, we, we, we mentioned this conversation that just started on the 9th and the 10th of the December. How do you think it's going to progress before the end of 2022 when apparently uh, there's this final document due um, as a... And as a representative of uh, the foundation and the media outlet, um, you, you might be interested in understanding how the, the whole process is going to engage and involve not only institutional figures, but like ONGs and the, 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 the private sector. Uh, what do you expect from that? Do you expect to be part of this, uh, of this discussion? Do you, do, do you think that the same is going to happen in the other Central Union and Eastern European countries as well? Thanks, Andrea. I, I have three points here and uh, indeed one of these is exactly on, on this one, but let me first paint the, uh, the, the other two, uh, the remark uh, on the other two, because I think they're important context. Uh, first, uh, as we already had uh, some podcasts, uh, including uh, one with uh, Richard Youngs and the other one with Scott Kulinen, uh, we, we discussed uh, the question of Summit for Democracy and importance for Central Europe already before the summit. And I think it's important here to uh, showcase this not only to advertise, of course, our great discussions, 
But the fact that uh, there is a summit for democracy already attracted a lot of attention and mobilized people to discuss democracy and put it at the center of their calendars uh, and their agendas. And that indeed involved many non-governmental actors uh, or those who are you know, maybe in the opposition, uh, we have had a number of mayors um, also from Central Eastern Europe coming to this stage and speaking up and talking and raising this, uh, raising the, the topics that are important for democracy from, from another perspective. So this effect of, of a snowballing will be tested throughout the next year, how much it will stay. But I think it's uh, uh, predominantly about empowering the voices and giving leverage to those who are otherwise uh, weak in their own in their own countries or they are sidelined in their own countries. Now, with certain countries not participating, I think Viktor Orban is quite smart, not uh, uh, not trying even to participate in the in the summit for democracy because he has completely different strategy. His strategy is not uh, to be. Um, not to be, uh, let's say, um, later accused of hypocrisy or not to be uh, accused or not, not to be, um, you know, approached with a, with a leverage from civil society or opposition saying, well, but you promised. Um, and uh, and he, he instead uh, simply uh, declined to meet any of the requirements that would uh, put him on the list of invitees for uh, Summit for Democracy. On the other hand, a number of countries like my own, Poland, has been uh, participating uh, at the same time being branded as uh, the backsliding democracy, which uh, simply shows, um, in my opinion, again, uh, how um, imperfect, I mean, how not smart, uh, the strategies, the liberal strategies of this government in Poland is. Um, there's the strategy of, of, of the government shouldn't be to accept and to, be, to, to take part in this summit, because now the opposition or the civil uh, activists may say, well, you've been there, you promised, you, you spoke of highly of democracy, and then we'll uh, hold you account, uh, to, to the account for, for what you're doing. So that's, uh, that's, that's one point. But I think there are the two other points already partly mentioned. One is on how much this uh, event, the Summit for Democracy, is trying to align the whole U.S. administration. Um, frankly speaking, it's a repairment, uh, you know, repairing uh, the damage after Donald Trump and bracing yourself if you believe uh, Robert Kagan and others uh, who already expect that Donald Trump is coming back for the next term. So uh, there is, you know, if 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 uh, if there is an important work to be done here is to insulate the, the American democracy from inside because of its importance to the uh, global world order and to the allies across the world. So this is important. And last but not least, um, and then we can discuss it also later, this is, this is going to be very important for all the multilateral framework and the toolbox that um, uh, that has been helping so far democracy. This toolbox is damaged and uh, now the stakes are high about, about whether, you know, beyond repairment or not, but uh, international multilateral initiatives or bodies or alliances like um, NATO, UN, OSC, different kinds, have um, have now, uh, uh, with this, the Mobilization Summit for Democracy, some important reference 
tool. And it's like an alliance of, of coalitions of willing to support democracy that will be important to uh, defend uh, the, you know, fend off the influences of China and Russia, who, frankly speaking, want to rewrite the code of these international institutions. From, from this point of view, uh, Summit for Democracy serves an as, as an important, you know, it's like, uh, excuse me for the perverse meaning of it, but a little bit like Visegrad Grupo in the EU. It's, uh, you know, part of a, part of a coalition uh, that once that has its own uh, interest, here are the interest is democracy, and they want to do and they ple pledge to do something more, uh, some some you know additionally um, coordinate uh, when it comes to uh, much bigger, more, much more important stake uh, uh, stakeholding um, uh, forum. <laughs>